What's up, guys? Welcome to the Founder Hour. I'm your co-host, Pat. I'm Posh. That's Posh. And today we're joined by Jordan Harbinger. Uh, it's awesome to have another podcaster on the platform. So, Jordan, thanks so much for being on with us. Thanks for having me on, guys. And I want to do a quick shout-out also to Martin and Jerry. You yeah, this up two huge Founder Hour listeners. Mm. And also two big listeners of your show. So. Jordan Harbinger's show. He is big. He's about 6'3". Yeah. <laughs> He's about six. My dad three, jokes on fleet tonight, by the way. Sorry about that. Former U Michigan offensive lineman. Got <laughs> drafted second in the NFL draft, but he said, fuck it, I want to go do podcasts and, and insurance. Here he is today. Yep, <laughs> yeah. and insurance. And here he is today. So Jordan, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of where this all began, you know, before even your days at the University of Michigan. Where where like my life began. Where, your where, life where Jordan began. Harbinger began. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the, the rough suburbs of Detroit, the not so rough suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. We left all the roughness in Detroit. So I grew up around a lot of people that were pretty successful, but sort of like Michigan successful. So nobody was really thinking entrepreneurially. They were all kind of like, go work the auto industry. Go work in an auto supplier. Nobody was like, I'm moving out west to go to Silicon Valley. There was no – I don't even know if we – I don't even think – Silicon Valley? Yeah, I don't even think that I knew about that. It was like big corporations, right? It, like, yeah, I kind of didn't really think – I don't even know if I was aware of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And when I was in college, a lot of the tech people, the technically inclined people, they weren't really thinking like, I'm going to go do something world-changing, startup-y. It wasn't like I'm going to develop something. There were kids that made websites and things like that, but it was like, we're going to make a website for my dad's jewelry business, yeah. not like I'm going to make an online commerce website that's going to change mm-hmm. a business model. And then even still, a lot of technically, very technically like systems architect type people, they would go work for some auto supplier, a major auto company, or in some cases, America Online, which was in Virginia. Yep. So nobody was like headed to work Why do you think for, that was? Like, was it just the, like, you know, the ecosystem there? It, it was the ecosystem, right. So when you grow up in Michigan in the 80s, 90s, and possibly even later, your parents are teachers, auto workers, and not, not just not like assembly lines, some people maybe, but yeah. nobody's thinking, hey, this economy's going in the tank because since 19... 30 or whatever, or 40 or possibly earlier, people had already, yeah, earlier, people had moved to Detroit and the ecosystem was go work for one of these companies. There's no way these are going anywhere. Look at all the infrastructure. Everything is geared towards auto. They're not just going to pick up and move. We're still going to need cars. And then it was like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, and I will partially blame the unions for this. They just made it impossible for these companies to make money. And so yeah. when we had NAFTA, they were like, fine, if you guys all want to w- make $50 an hour to do something a robot can do, we're just going to move this. It's literally cheaper for us to move to Mexico. There were tons of warnings yeah. about this. I'm going to get some hate for this, but whatever. <laughs> so there were tons of warnings. That's all they knew pretty much. And like – yeah. The- yeah, it was it yeah. was all everybody knew. It was like, well, you're not going to move the auto industry, so I'm going to work for the auto industry mm-hmm. because even if you had a, the worst job in the auto industry, probably paid like thirty thirty five bucks an hour, and you were on the assembly line. Yeah. yeah. So so that's everybody, and then you're kind of on this like one side, like, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur, or what? Was no, kind of- <laughs> no. I went to college, and I was like, uh, I guess I'm just going to get some kind of job. And you were obviously a good student going to University of Michigan. Yeah, I was okay. I I wasn't like I need to be the best student ever, but I was like, eh, I'm pretty good at school. I'm certainly not good at other things outside of school, so I'm just going to work. I figured keeping doors open was a good idea, 
which is always it's kind of a rule of thumb. Yeah. You know, people think like, "Oh, I don't care about this. I'm not going to work at it." Well, you don't you probably don't have anything better to do. Mm-hmm. So unless you already know other things that you're going to do, you should work at that. And I get notes from people all the time that are like, "Oh, crap. I didn't think I was going to want to do this. Now I want to do this, but my transcript sucks and in order to get into medical school, I need good grades. Go figure." And that sucks for them because they spend all that other time like screwing off and playing Xbox mm-hmm. because they're like, I don't need to put effort into this. I'm going to be this other thing that doesn't require this. And it's like, oh, crap. Now I let that door shut. Right. For me, it was like, yeah, I've got to work really hard, but I'm going to have to work hard at no matter what I do. I don't have another thing I'm working hard at, so I might as well try to get really good grades. Mm-hmm. So what did you study undergrad? I know you went to law school after, but what did you right. study? I made my own concentration. This was kind of like my mm-hmm. own. Hack. I think that's the way to do it college. It totally is. The and, and, and Economy, I just art, into it. and government. Absolutely. Yeah. So what I did was I was like, okay, I like economics. I really hate math. That's a problem because mm. economics kind of involves math, math at certain <laughs> levels. But here's the thing. With economics, it was what was interesting was you could do like econ theory, econ theory, econ theory, econ theory. And then you had to take this shitty grinding <laughs> Econ, uh, they called them like weeder courses. That's not a technical term, but basically it was like, oh, you want an econ degree? We're going to make you go go through so much pain. Yeah. What was it called? It was like 232 or something like that. It's one of those classes that expands on one concept of like another class that just goes deep. And it's like like a deep dive. And then there was, and it might have been accounting 232. But basically, it was a prereq for for going to the business school. And everybody wanted to go to the B school because, oh, the B school, you get a good job. So they made these these weeder courses that were effing impossible and they were all required. And you had to do it at a certain time. So people had this hellish semester where they had to take the econ one and the accounting one and then you needed like calculus and all this stuff so people were going to summer school to try to spread it out a little and i just was like i'm not going to be school this is bs that i have to take this class and so i went to my counselor and i said i like econ i like languages and i like political science what can i do to not go through these dumb classes that all these b school guys are going through and my advisor was pretty cool about it because he should he he could have just been like, you have to deal with it. Sorry, I don't really care about your yeah. feelings. Yeah. And he said, the only way around these, you, you have to either go through that and just be get go through the econ thing and go through that pain. But if you like poli-sci and you like languages and you like econ, you could stack those together and create your own concentration, but it's a huge pain. <laughs> and I said, what kind of pain are we talking about? Like, are we talking accounting 232 pain or are yeah. we, or is it like administrative BS that you mostly have to deal with kind yeah. of pain? Because if it's that, I can deal yeah. with that. And he said, yeah, you, you have to make a presentation to the academic standards board. You have to sort of petition certain professors to let you take classes even though you didn't take this prereq, prereq accounting 232. And he goes, but here's a secret. A lot of the classes after 232 that aren't going to be like really technical and math focused – they don't really care if you took 232 first. It's in there, but you don't really need it. Hmm. It's just that they don't want you to take that instead. So you kind of found like these loopholes. Yeah, I found these little loopholes. And so I would make I made my own concentration that was poli sci, econ, and languages. I was pretty close. 
Yeah, you were you were not far off. Yeah, I just didn't take art. Was the kind of the and and that's (laughs) language is same shit. Yeah, and and that worked out really well because I basically got to take stuff I was really interested in that I was really engaged with, but I didn't have to take like calculus based economic theory that one I would never have used. Yeah, would have hated every second of it and would have probably got like a C minus or a D plus with tutoring Mm -hmm. and hating the whole semester. Just because yeah. the, th- this is one of those things where it's like the well-worn tracks of life in general, you you run into these walls that are put there by people who are like, oh, crap, we got to figure out who's smart. Well, everyone's doing the same thing. Let's make this really impossible BS that they have to hurdle systems to get through And that's it. what I'm curious. Like, as a kid, did you – like, were you always kind of hesitant to play along the rules? Like, were you like – anytime you yeah. were kind of put into a system, did you always try to figure a way to yeah. break that system? Totally. Yeah. And some of it was like, haha, I figured this out and nobody else did. Yeah. So that was probably like the beginning of that. But then the other part of it was – I'm one of those guys that's always – and you guys are probably like this too. I'm always like, why do I have to do that? Yeah. Even even now, I've got these – you know those like Invisalign aligners that people yeah. – have? <laughs> I have this Candid Co. It's like a really good brand of those. And they're like, you have to wear them for two weeks before you go on to the next step. And there's like 15 steps. And I go, why? And they're like, because the treatment requires you to wear them for two weeks. And I wrote back and I go, if you're just going to say – because I said so, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. Because I said so, that's the way it's always been. That's yeah. just the way it is. Like, I'm like, I want to hear from the orthodontist that you have in your office to tell me why it's a, a bad idea. <laughs> and so someone wrote back today and goes, hi, this is an orthodontist that I'm assigned to. Here's the thing. Your bones and ligaments, they, you think that you don't need to wear it that long, but actually the part that hurts is not the part that's developing. Once they stop hurting, then your bones and ligaments are rearranging and blah, blah, blah. Re- and I was like, oh. So now I'm now I'm going to wear them for two weeks each. Before that, I was like, as soon as they stop hurting, I'm just going to put in the next ones. And they're like, that's a really bad idea. Why? Oh, well, it is. Well, if you if you if the reason is because it is, then you don't know what you're talking about. I don't trust you. I'm not going to listen to you. Yeah. Does it ever lead to like just deep anxiety for you, like living life that way? Uh, yeah. When I can't get the answer, it pisses me <laughs> off. And also, but I've also found that a lot of times people who can't give me the answer, Just it's because they it. don't know. Yeah. And then when you go all the way up to the top, the answer is, oh, well, you know, that's just how we set this up. And I'm like, well, I don't give a crap how you set this up and then gave up on yourself because you wanted to go have dinner. And now it's been that way for 10 years. Yeah. Like, I don't care if you set it up because it's easier for you and now you're retired. Yeah. Right. I don't care. I'm not going to follow that set of rules. Because, Just because you said so. Right. Because you said so. Like, that was never worked. My parents didn't get away with I'm that. Excited. Why am I going to let some professor get away I'm with I'm excited that? for the part where we talk about when you worked on Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was literally about to say, yeah, I, that I, went, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you like, think about law school. That yeah. went over yeah. really yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but even, even in law school, it was very similar. Yeah. You know, I originally didn't get into law school at all. Actually, I got into certain law schools that I didn't want to go to. And... In fact, one of them was a local school, and Domino's Pizza is a Michigan company. And this Domino, the Domino's company, had given me a full ride to this local law school. Did you eat a lot of pizza? Or what and, was the... and, and and well, I had good <laughs> enough grades to get like a full ride for okay. that one. And then my, I told my dad, and he goes, "Oh, you're going to be the pizza lawyer." And I was like, "Not going to that school. Never. <laughs> no way am I going to live my life being the pizza lawyer." 
Like, I mean, you could have made a lot of money. Papa John's. Papa John's would have hired you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I could have. <laughs> yeah. Really he he up needed there. a lawyer. Yeah, he, he definitely. Needed, he needed God. But I you missed know, my calling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he needed, needed other things. He needed Jesus. Yeah, uh, yeah. But so I so I was like, screw that. I want to stay at Michigan. And of course, my dad's like, you should just stay at Michigan. And I'm like, you can't just like decide to go to school where you yep. want, which is yep. funny. That's another thing. That is not cool. That is. Well, it's another thing that's very per- parents' generation is yeah. they're like, oh, just go there. And I'm like, yeah, I know that in 1965, <laughs> you could just be like, I want to go to that college. And you go there because it's near your house. Yeah. That doesn't – that's not how this works anymore. Right. You know, Now you could live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and you're, you have to apply there like everyone else and get rejected like everyone else. And some guy from Idaho – gets in over you. It yeah. doesn't matter where you live now. The days of like, oh, I'm from Michigan, so I got in because I'm local, That those are long gone. Well, yeah. now actually, if you're not local and apply to public schools like you, Michigan, you're more likely to get in because it's higher revenue for them, but that's, yeah. a, that's a different story. And because, oh, we don't have that many people from yeah. corn shuck yeah, Idaho. Yeah. It's a big stat for them when they're like, we have a student from ev- all 50 Diverse states. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, yeah. Oh, you're from Ecuador? You're a shoe-in now because you can afford to go here and you're from Ecuador. So, so what was your experience like in law school? I'm curious. Yeah, law school was interesting. So I finally ended up going there through some other sh- sort of finagling. And then uh, – and I don't mean like my dad donated yeah. a library. That yeah. was not in the cards for me. I mean like – Just one of the rooms in the yeah, library. Yeah, yeah. Just, one, just one stack of books. <laughs> so I, I ended up going there. I had to defer my enrollment and I went there. And then I got to this – is, this is kind of a funny thing because when I went to law school – I didn't really want to be a lawyer. I went there because I couldn't get a job anywhere else that I had applied. And I mean like Best Buy. Not like I tried to get a job at New York Life and I didn't get it. Mm. I mean like I tried to go to Best Buy and put computers together. And they're like, "Do you? we'll tell you what. You can work here for two years selling CDs and then we'll see if you're good enough to move up to computer repair. And I was like, (laughs) I have a degree from the University of Michigan and I'm selling Britney Spears CDs with a 17-year-old, and he is making more money than me because he's been here a lot. Well, that's the problem because you're overqualified. Yeah, yeah, well, and they're going to fire me because they know I'm going to leave, right? Well, yeah. What were you doing in between that time? Did you go like straight into law school like a year I later? I went to – uh, I became – I taught English overseas because oh. you didn't need a teaching degree. You hmm. could just go. Where overseas? Serbia. Okay. Not Siberia. <laughs> Serbia. It's in the former Yugoslavia. Yeah. And it was awesome. It was a good time. And – so I went to law school finally and like kind of because I didn't have anything else to do. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I got to get more qualified. And and that's another sort of Michiganism, right? Or maybe 90sism. Hey, you didn't get what you wanted? You're probably undereducated. Get more education. That will open more doors, which is technically true, mm-hmm. but not necessary at all. It's mm-hmm. also immigrantism as well. Like, it you have totally, parents, yeah. Like, yeah. Because like, they didn't have that, so they think that if you have that, the more degrees up, you have, the yeah. better off. Yeah, you which again, it's it helps. It's sound logic. Yeah, yeah. right. Like, yeah. who doesn't want to hire somebody with a law degree? Right. And right. the that that sort of works. The problem is now it's not thirty grand that you paid for that right. law degree. I was going to say it's, it's like seven million dollars now. Yeah. So like, you want to know what? Right. Yeah. What you're I, I went to law into. school too. So oh, I, you did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's why we're both here. So you come out with yeah. crushing debt. Yeah. Whereas before, I think my mom told me, and I, I'm I'm going to misquote here, but when she went to college, one, I don't think she was able to take any loans. I think she like worked and paid, and then I think you could get a federal loan that was like twenty eight hundred dollars, nice. and that covered 
three quarters of what you owe the school. Now right? that's like three law books. Oh, that's yeah, literally yeah, three yeah. law, yeah, maybe yeah. five books. I remember there were semesters I easily spent fourteen hundred dollars on books, and I didn't buy all the books. There was semesters I literally didn't buy books. Yeah, I was like, because I'm not going to open it. You like, know, I, at one point I just gave up. I was like, fuck that. So it's so funny. I didn't buy my books for the third year of oh, law school, no. and my girlfriend and her family were like, he's so smart, he didn't even <laughs> buy the books, and I'm like, that's not why I didn't buy the books. I'm actually smart because I didn't buy. Them. Right. I, no, the smart thing is I didn't spend the money on exactly, the books. Yeah. It's not because I get everything that's already in the book. I definitely don't get what's in the book. It's yeah. because I really, I already know that I'm not even going to get <laughs> one shred of value from yeah. the book. So yeah. I'm just not going to buy yeah, it. Yeah, for those that are in law school now, just honestly don't buy books. Go to casebriefs.com. Free. Maybe they Oh, my God. Not that We're not sponsored Hashtag by casebriefs.com. If Casebrief people are listening, we would love to be sponsored by casebriefs.com. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, quick so non-sponsor. There was a yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of like me showing up to class, taking notes, realizing my notes were total garbage, realizing I'd zoned out for twenty minutes, and then being like, Psst, "Hey, can I see the notes?" And they're like, "Oh, did you miss something?" And I'm like, "Yeah, like the last like thirty <laughs> thirty five minutes." And my friends are like, "I'm just gonna send you my notes at the end of the semester." And I'm like, "Awesome, yeah. uh, I'll still show up to class though." And they're like, "Whatever, man." <laughs> Yeah, you know, like that was my law school career, and yeah. and it was, it was actually a huge advantage, because everybody who was next to me was like, my parents are going to disown me, my grandma's going to jump off the roof of the house if I don't become a top tier lawyer and yeah. go work at Scadden Arps, and I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to be a lawyer. Oh yeah, I'm not going to do on campus interviews. Yeah, I'm probably not going to really go apply for anything. Yeah. And my friends were like, you are dumb and crazy. Yeah. And then during on-campus interviews, I would just show up and like walk around and do interviews with people. And I got offers from each of the people that I interviewed with. And when I asked why, they were like, you're really at ease and you're really personal. And I'm like, you know why? Because I don't care if I get this job or not at all. I have no outcome dependency. I have nothing to lose. Right. So if I'm interviewing and the person's scarfing a Subway sandwich because I, I showed up and the other guy who was supposed to take my interview slot, it was a no-show. Yeah. They're like, why do you want to work here? And I'm like, well, you know, to be honest, I didn't prepare for this interview because you weren't expecting me. And they're like, that's fair because I didn't sign up for the interview. So of course <laughs> I didn't brief myself on the firm. And they're like, that's all right, whatever. You can do that later. Tell me why you want to be a real estate lawyer. And I'm like, well, you know, it's really interesting. Working in New York would be great. Real estate's interesting. It's always it's a great market. It's always going to go up. I mean, that worked out. And you know what? What could be wrong with that? And they're like, "Cool, yeah, you want to fly to New York and do another round of interviews?" And I'm like, "Great." So I remember Career Services going, "Wow, you did really well in on-campus interview because you had to report." Yeah. And they had to report who they called back. Like you did really well in on-campus interviews, and I was like, "Thanks." And there's like, I remember she, her name is Susan Gindy. She was really nice. She goes, "There's just one question I have." You didn't sign up for on-campus interviews. <laughs> so how did you get a bunch of offers from on-campus interviews? And I said, oh, I just showed up. And she goes, oh, that was a good move. How did you get the interviews? And I go, I just walked around and I told anyone that if they uh, saw a no-show that they should call me. And so my friends had just called me. And I stopped by each of the interview rooms and I said, hey, if you have a no-show, here's my phone number. Just give me a call. So I had a full day of interviews by not signing up. And, and not signing up was actually another sort of hack – that turned into a huge advantage because the way that they tried to make everything fair, which I think is BS, they did this thing where, and this will be relevant to sort of the foundry hacky thing, entrepreneur thing. They said, you have to outline or a pro what, what am I talking? You have to like prioritize the top six that you want. Yeah. And then we'll, and we'll give you five of them, uh, 
or we'll give you at least the top three and then you'll get five interviews altogether. Mm. But the three of them will be the ones you chose. You can only do your top choice. We can only guarantee you the top choice, like one. So that the one you put in the top spot will for sure get you that one. And then we sort of roll the dice on the other ones, whichever you'll get. And people were pissed because they're like, why do you get to choose, Susan Gindy, uh, who I get to interview with? Mm-hmm. I should be able to interview with whoever I want. And they're like, well, there's only a limited number of spots. Blah, blah. I didn't sign up for anything, so I interviewed with whoever would take me, which turned out to be pretty much everyone because the way they arranged the schedule, all these top choices, yeah. the top firms were slammed, uh, the, maybe the top one or two, but all of the other top tier firms that were there always had openings, and I was the only one going for those openings because everybody else was- It's like the same as these career fairs at like, these colleges. Schedule. It's like, yeah. why stand in line for like two hours to yeah. say hi, and like they won't even remember who the hell you are, of and course. then you just like, hit them up, it's like, completely find their pointless. email, cold email them, and you'll be better off. Yeah, way. and you go, hey, can I can I show- <laughs> I remember doing things like that. Yeah, exactly. I remember doing things like, like hey, my uh, career services people didn't prioritize me being able to meet you. Can I just come to the hotel where you're staying and get a drink later? Yeah, exactly. And they were like, great- Perfect, because they're there in Ann Arbor from Manhattan, and they're not like, let's go out. They're like, like they're waiting for that person. They're they're waiting for that person, and they want to get as many interviews as they can, so they don't have to come back. And they always send like the person that's like only like three, four years out of law school anyway, so they're still like your age. Right. And they don't give a fuck. They just like, want someone to drink with. Yeah, they li- one of the inter- I, I did an OCI. Yeah. One, I think I got one oh, OCI. OCI. That's yeah. right. It's called I got all, one OCI interviews. on campus interview, and. Um, I'm like, honestly, they're like, why do you want to work here? And I said, honestly, I don't know mm. because I don't want to practice law. Yeah. But like, if the people there are cool, I'm down. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, honestly, I just want to have fun with you yeah, yeah. and have a good time. He's like, that's literally what we're looking for. Right. Is we ask ourselves, can we have a beer with this person after a long day of work? Yeah. And if the answer is no, we're not going to hire them. I don't care if you're number one or number 150. So and I didn't c- get that interview. I didn't get the job, but I was yeah, happy they're like, that. Tell this guy is cool and then do not <laughs> hire him. No, yeah, uh, exactly. w- w- one of the reasons that I got the job that I did, that one I ended up taking was because my friend Mike, who was my roommate back in undergrad, he, he goes, hey, my old housemate Jeremy is in room 422. Go say hi. And I was like, all right, whatever. And then I was like, oh, go say hi is code for show up and do something. Why? And I was like, wait, why is your old housemate here? So I show up. Is that nothing else to do? And he goes, hey, Jordan, give me your resume. I'm like, okay. He goes, hey, you should interview this guy, Jordan, during your lunch break. And the guy goes, if you don't mind while I'm eating a sandwich, I'll do this interview. And I was like, go ahead. So I sit down and he's like, yeah, this is cool. This is your friend from undergrad. He's like, yep. So I got a job offer, uh, round two interview offer after like five minutes. What firm is this? Uh, Thatcher Profit and Wood. And it was a t- it was a white shoe firm, which is a fancy, it was like mm-hmm. a fancy, nice Manhattan law firm. It's just that my buddies. My friend, friend, you know, worked there, and yeah. he was going to get a Rolex if they hired me, and I didn't quit, right? <laughs> so he and he's like, Jordan's cool. He's not a jerk. Everyone who, when we hung out in undergrad, liked him. So that's what they're looking for. And there's a rule in consulting, and I think they call it the airport rule. And it's if you got stuck, which you often do if you work for Accenture or Bain or something <laughs> like, if you got stuck at an airport lounge for twelve hours and a layover in Boise, Idaho. Are you going to be like, eh, it was cool getting to know Jim? Or are you going to be like, I'm going to kill this guy. Get me out of here right now. I quit, right? Because right. you're going to end up in Montana with that guy for three months. 
It's just fact. So you passed the airport test. So I passed the airport test. And that's what people don't realize. They're so busy being like, I have cheerleading in six languages and then 17 different extracurricular activities. But when you go for these top tier jobs, people are just going to decide, am I going to want to kill you after 17 straight 12-hour days in this conference room or are we going to be cool? Mm -hmm. And the answer has to be we're going to be cool. So you should spend a lot more time with your intrapersonal skills because once you hit the qualification bar, everything above that is kind of not that useful, right? Nobody cares that you got an A yeah. instead of an A minus. There's once, a lot of qualified people. It's right. like, what are the other things? Right. It's yeah. everyone, and everyone on Wall Street who gets there is qualified. Everybody who gets into the certain school is theoretically qualified. They're looking for work ethic, which is grades your first year. That's it. And so – and that's the same thing in B school. And people yeah. can deny this and debate this all day in career services. People who've never had an actual job in business, not all of them, but many slash most same with law school. have have never done. But when you talk to the people that hire, and I was on hiring committees even when I was an attorney, even though I wasn't in charge of anything, you're just looking for personal the people skills. You're yeah. just looking for personality fit. You are only looking for that. Everybody who's in front of you, yeah. their resume already passed HR, and they said, "Cool, he's got a three five. I'm Next. glad you bring that up. People skills is a great segue into kind of like kind of a passion of yours. Is that like yeah. did you kind of fall into that, or did yeah? You, how did that happen? Because I know um, during law school that you, you you and your friend started coaching guys, mm -hmm. and then started a podcast, which is like early podcast days. Yeah. So tell us what kind of about is that. This around? 2006. Okay. So what happened was I was doing – I did my summer internship at the law firm. I was a summer associate. and Nice paychecks for sure. Super nice paychecks. You're making like 40 grand in the summer. Yeah, and like you, three months. And you work like – yeah, for three months of work. And yeah. I mean – and work is in air quotes because they're yeah. like, we're going to fly everyone to our Hong Kong office on a chartered plane and then we're going to go do a sightseeing tour. Then you're going to go to the office for like two hours. Yeah, have a nice catered lunch, see a presentation, go like that. You know, that was that was a whole summer yeah. was like Blue Man Group, McCormick and Schmick Steakhouse, yeah. go to London for a week to see the London office and go see the whole city on like VIP tours mm -hmm. while stopping by the office. Meanwhile, everyone who works there is like, save yourself because they know <laughs> that it's don't do this. yeah, don't do it, don't be fooled. <laughs> it's like bird box, yeah. you know, like don't take off the blindfold. Um, and <clears throat> So I started to to really enjoy that, but I also knew that it wasn't going to be the case. I also thought I'm going to get fired if I take this job. You know, I'm they're going to figure out I don't belong here. I'd major imposter syndrome because everybody was really smart, everybody was a hard worker, and I was like, oh crap. You know, my competitive advantage of being like the guy who can outwork everyone that's gone. My my other competitive advantage of being like maybe of average intelligence in a world where people are like screwing off and are also of average, like that competitive advantage is gone. So I thought I'm, they're going to find me out at some point. It's a lot of mundane work, right? It's a it's lot like of mundane work. I don't have the attention span I mean, You don't need people it. skills the first few yeah. years. You need paper skills. You need skills. paper skills. And so I was freaking out. So I thought I need to figure out how to work from home. And that way it'll take them longer to find out that I'm an idiot, right? <laughs> I'm not physically in the office. Right, right. Give them less time. <laughs> yeah, right. Like less FaceTime. They'll give me the benefit of the doubt. During that time, maybe I can like yeah. kind of figure out how to not look like an idiot all the time. So there was a partner. He's a really a younger partner and he was never in the office, but he was one of his hot paid partners. And I, uh, he was supposed to be like this mentor for me. And I don't mean like he took me under his wing. I mean – 
they made him take me out for coffee. It was like check off the mentor box on on your HR. Yeah, on your yeah, you see on his like continue learning. It's like, did you mentor someone this summer? And he's like, Yeah, I went to Starbucks with that Jordan kid, so uh yep. Right? And like, cool. So HR was basically like, Hey, can you mentor by going to Starbucks in the basement for twenty minutes and answering questions? So he took me down there and I was like, Hey, how come you're never in the office? But you're a partner. Do you work from home? Thinking he was going to be like, yes, up, up, down, down, left, right, BA, select, start. Now you can work from home, right? The cheat code. So he goes, no, I I don't work from home. I mean, I do sometimes. Why? And I was like, because you're never really in the office, but you're a partner. So I kind of wonder, like, where you are. And I thought, like, for sure I'm getting fired now. (laughs) Because... I just told a partner that he's yeah. never there and probably doesn't do anything, and how the hell does he still have a job, right? But he, t- he took it in stride, and he goes, no, no, I'm, I'm actually out generating business for the firm. And I thought, well, how the hell do you do that? So you're doing sales. Yeah, but I'm like, there's not like a lead gen guy, yeah, or there's not like a sales department. People don't he's like searching for companies to defend. Yeah, I, I was, and I was also like, did, you know, we're like corporate attorneys. Do, yeah. Don't people just like call us from the yellow pages? Like, yeah. I, and that's when I realized I had no clue how this firm generated business at all. So then I thought, well, wait, how are you? How are you generating? leads for the firm and he goes ah you know i go play racquetball do a little jujitsu play some golf go on a charity thing go to this gala take a cruise with my girlfriend first of all he's married so that's a whole can of worms but <laughs> he probably wasn't lying about going on a cruise with his girlfriend but that's a whole other story so so i thought wait a second you're more valuable playing squash slash golf slash rolling jujitsu than you are in this firm billing like 900 dollars an hour i don't get it I don't get how that's possible. Hmm. And he's like, look, investment bankers give us business. They give business to their friends. I got to be their friend. And I was like, my mind just exploded. Because hmm. I was like, wait a minute. Your job is to be cool. I need to get that job. Because <laughs> you're in, in friendly and have people trust you, right? It's yeah. not just be cool. But I one, it sounded a lot easier than learning about leveraged buyouts and stuff. Two, it also seemed like something I could potentially get good at because I knew, I thought like, oh, okay, I can get people to like and trust me, but I probably can't get smarter mm-hmm. about law. I certainly can't work more because we're already in the office like 20 hours a day, yeah. you know, literally 16 hours a day, yeah. seven days a week. So that appealed to me, and it all because it seemed like it's a, a third path, like a secret competitive advantage, and no one was thinking about it. Nobody, first, second, third year associates, was like, "Yeah, I got to think about generating business for the firm." They yeah. were like, "I need to bill hours so I get a bonus and don't get fired." And I but thought did that mean like bypassing like all those years of like the grueling like probably not work. necessarily bypassing it, yeah. but at least going through that whole thing, and then in five years when they're like all right, everybody's got to learn how to network. I'm like, I already did that. I already know how to do that. And then everyone else can panic because I have a five-year head start on Mm -hmm. figuring out how to generate business for the firm. And that to me was a huge opportunity because I thought, I can't make myself smarter. I can't outwork these people because they're all working super, super hard. What I can do is get a running start on networking and relationship development. And if I do that, these people won't fire me because I'll I'll be valuable in some other way. So how'd you start doing that? That was the trick. First thing I did was I was like, all right, 
networking, how do you do it? And it was like, have a firm handshake and look people in the eye. And I was like, mm, what else? Right? Like, what else? And I started going to mixers and stuff, and it was such a waste of time. It was like stale Kool-Aid and like guys in $99 suits, and they're like, everybody introduce yourself. And you're like, hi, I'm a lawyer. And the other person's like, great, I'm a financial planner that has no skills that just signed on from to some like crappy company and needs to generate clients mm-hmm. like now. Oh, I sell used cars. Like there's all these people in the room and they're all pitching you and you're just like, why am I here during my one hour of free time during the whole day? I'm at this dumb mixer. It makes no sense. So I took a Dale Carnegie class and that was all right, but it was kind of like teach you how to influence and win, how to win and how to win friends. friends. <laughs> but it was also like everybody in that class was was pretty cool. But a lot of it was like, oh, I'm here because I work at the post office and I have to give a presentation and I'm afraid to stand in front of the room. And I was like, uh, I'm here because I need to generate business from multi million dollar investment banks. And same class, yeah, and it, yeah, and I'm in the same class as like yeah. someone, some 55, 65 year old lady who's like, I am recently promoted. Here at my job at Walmart, and I'm a team leader, so I need to like be more assertive. And I thought, like, I am in the wrong place. Mm. Not that I'm better than any of those people, but I'm in this super high performance role, and no one else was. And the guy teaching the class is wearing like a sweater vest, you know. I'm thinking, this guy's never generated a multi million dollar law deal. In fact, he's here because he probably is otherwise not maybe employed. Yeah. Right. And I remember the final straw for me was one of the guys was like the the teacher. I was like, yeah, I'm recently divorced, you know, and I really want to kick off my speaking career. And I think I need to do a book, but I'm going to self-publish it. And, you know, and I'm like, shoot, why am I learning from you, man? Like your life is falling apart before my eyes. Yeah, and it, 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 I felt bad, but I was what like, did you "This expect is not." It would be? Like, who, who did you? I thought I'd go in from? there, and it would be like other lawyers that are years ahead of me, yeah. doctors and surgeons, and like kind of like that at, at colleges too. It's like some of these professors teaching like really like high level shit, and it's like they haven't really done anything, especially in never bus- done business any schools, especially business schools. I went to B school, like oh, so you did, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, you're thinking like, oh wow, this guy's a genius. Yeah, I can't wait to learn from him, it's and it's like. How much? How much experience do you have? I took at an Pepsi entrepreneurship Co? course. Like the guy had not started. Of course, a, yeah, never run a business. So this is how you life. do what I've never done. Yeah, go yeah. do that. No, that's cool. I did a survey about it, and I did a PhD <laughs> thesis about have how data. you know yeah. markets are created. It's like uh, I'm just going to be over here selling and making money. <laughs> exactly. But tell me when I'm wrong. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Tell tell me when I'm doing something that's impossible and should stop. So, so during this time, you're you're not doing any coaching stuff, are you? No, I was no, I was not at all. So I started to read books about psychology and try to apply the things from the books. What kinds of like what books are you reading? At this oh point? man, probably man, it's been a long time. Psycho Cybernetics was one that I read a really long time. Any, ago. any Barry Schwartz like Paradox of Choice type? Stuff? I don't even remember. Oh, that's a great I seriously book. don't. But some of the stuff that was the highest impact back yeah. then. Was people would go, oh, you're interested in psychology? Yeah, and I remember I wanted to learn persuasion. So they're like, oh, here's an NLP book on hypnosis. And I was like, eh, debatably not really science, you know, not debatably, definitely not really science, et cetera. Not that it's useless, but it's just not science. And I was like, okay. But I was on these like forums with NLP and people were like, oh, yeah, I'm also taking this dating class. And I was like, dating class? That sounds weird. But then they were posting these ideas, and I thought, like, this is really interesting persuasion and influence stuff. Where's this from? And they're like, oh, it's from this PDF by this 
guy who's cl- with a clearly fake name. And I'm like, send me the PDF. So they'd send me this PDF and it was like nonverbal communication, body language for charisma. And I was like, what? This is for losers. And then I was like, ah, I'll just read it and see what's going on. And I read that stuff and I thought, this is a thousand times more real and more practical than look them in the eye and have a firm handshake and remember that their kids play tennis. It's like, whatever. This was all like upright, open, positive, confident body language. Uh, do these three things and then back off and then make yourself scarce and then go over here and then generate rapport with friends. And I was like, wow, this is like ninja real world. And the other stuff was just completely fluff based or like one tip. Giant, it, it was like, you know how people write books now and it's really like, yeah, I saw you wrote a blog article on HBR, but now you wrote a book because you need money. Yeah. And the whole, the eight, eight, eight of the nine chapters are completely not relevant to yeah. the, what the book. Yeah, filler, you know, filler no chapters. Cool filler, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, this P, this PDF crap and the stuff people were talking about online was amazing. So I really dove in headfirst to all this stuff. And then it started to become like dating and pickup stuff. And it was kind of cool. And then this book called The Game came out. And by Neil Strauss. And then that book was all about all the stuff we were doing. And I, and it, and it kind of made us look a little skeezy, but it blew the industry up. And we had just started uh, a podcast about sort of networking. And when you say we, me and my buddy from, from grad school. And we had started, well, actually, sorry, we didn't even start the podcast yet. We were just talking about body language and nonverbal communication. And people were like, Hey, have you read this book, the game? And I was like, Yes. And so we had this whole thing and people were enthralled by this and we kept handing CDs of our recorded conversations out to people at the bars and the You and, and your school. buddy would just be talking and Yeah, we would just be talking about body language with like groups of people crowded around us. But what's the point? Like what are you, what are you trying to achieve from this? We were just teaching other people these things that we were learning cuz people were like what are you guys doing? Cuz mm-hmm. we started practice we were practicing all the stuff that we were learning. So we were like friends of the doorman, friends of the bartender, never paid, never waited in line, got free food, got free drinks all the time. So you're like I'm learning all this cool shit about how to communicate, how to, you know, this body language, all this stuff. Let's, let's just put it to, to the test and yeah. and document it. And people were like, this is really cool. How do I use it to get laid? And I was like, oh, <laughs> there might be a market for this because everybody's asking me the same question. And you're in law school at this time? I was in law school, yeah. And so <laughs> it, I thought we were going to end up teaching networking skills. And what it turned out was that nobody gave a crap about networking. They all wanted to learn how to meet women. Yeah. So we started teaching that. And we started teaching women as well, and it was awesome. And we got this sort of reputation as like these guys that really knew what they were doing but weren't dicks about it. And so – and when The Game came out by Neil Strauss, it just blew up, and our podcast just got super popular. And what was the podcast called at the time? Back then, it was about picking up girls. It was called The Pickup Podcast. <laughs> very catchy title. <laughs> yeah, very catchy. Um, and it was kind of embarrassing, but I didn't care because – and I remember career services being like, look, we saw your website. You got to be careful. This could affect your future career. And I was like, God, I hope it affects my future <laughs> career. Yeah, which is a little naive. But I remember when I did finally work at Thatcher, the partners, they I, I just got ahead of it. I was like, look, you're probably going to hear about this podcast. And HR was like not cool with it. But the partners were like, we're, we're fine with it. It's totally fine. You kept doing it while you were practicing? I kept doing it, yeah. And the partners, they didn't care. And HR was like, this could be problematic. But the thing is, look at it this way. Now, that stuff is super skis bag. But back then, it really wasn't because we weren't like, yeah, you're going to bag chicks like this. We were just like, hey, if you you look people in the eye and you smile and then you keep in touch with them, 
and you send people follow-up emails and you're really nice to the doorman and the bartender and you introduce the women that you're dating to all of your friends and you introduce the women that you're dating to other women that you're not dating, you're going to have a really vibrant social circle. So women who heard this were like, oh my God, guys not being douchebags, but still effective. This is awesome. Yeah. And so this is before like kind of the whole podcast wave and like iTunes and all stuff. You were basically like you had a website and you were uploading the audio. Yeah, there was no, the iPhone didn't exist at this point. There's nobody was streaming. So fast forward to when the iPhone comes out, it's 2007. There's this market crash. I know you're working at the law firm and then you got laid off, right? Right. I got laid off. Everybody, my whole class got laid off. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I can either go get another job I don't want. Yeah. Or just double down on what I'm doing now. And at this point, I was doing the show, but people were like, hey, can I pay you to teach me on the phone? And I was like, sure, 100 bucks an hour. And they're like, People Great. had like, heard about it. People had, people had heard about how, it. How, it was, was that just like organic? Or? Yeah, it was just organic. Yeah. yeah. Fr- friends pe- People friends. would tell their friends. Yeah. And I remember – oh, and I also, I also spent a lot of time emailing bloggers. <sighs> yeah. Back then, people read – people had personal blogs. Mm-hmm. So I would email – bloggers and go hey can you link to my podcast they were like the influencers back then yeah like targeted stuff like yeah i I would just find every dating blog and i would email every dating blog and be like can you link to me and i'll link to you and they're like sure and then they would go wow i started listening to this podcast that you guys do and then i would interview the blogger and the blogger would be like cool my interview on jordan's show and then people would start listening to that because they found their favorite blogger on there so we had a crazy amount of traction Mm -hmm. back then how many years did it take to get to that point um, it actually happened within like a, a year, but of I mean, starting the podcast. Yeah. I had a lot of traction and people started to reach out. Not even a year, probably six months. And when you say a lot, how many people were listening at the time? I have no idea. There weren't even stats. <laughs> yeah, there, was no stats. Yeah. there were no stats. Yeah. We yeah. had but no enough people. So you knew that there's something there. Like I knew there was people, something there because yeah. people, I remember this mortgage banker from California who was loaded was like, can you train my whole team? And I was like, sure. And he's like, can you start, start with me, phone coach me. And I was like, great. It's a hundred bucks an hour. And he goes, great. Here's five grand. Uh, you need to triple your price, but not for me. And I was like, cool. Did you just buy 50 hours of coaching? And he's like, yeah, I'll use it. So I was like, uh, okay. And this is purely like dating for, for dating. No, he wanted me to train his sales team. Oh, he wanted me to train. Yeah. Really he's like, like look, I know you think this is all about picking up girls, yeah. but you're doing the, the stuff that you're doing applies everywhere else. And I was like, I remember going, I feel really bad because you gave me all this money, but I have to give it back because I'm not a coach. And he goes, that's funny you should say that. I've hired all of these expert coaches and consultants. None of them can hold a candle to the stuff you're giving away for free on your podcast. Wow. And I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And, and he's like, yeah, you're talking about real concrete skills, real actual practical information that people can apply. And we'll hire a consultant for five grand and he'll come in and give us some bullshit motivational speech. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, what the hell was that? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and so that's when we realized what we were doing was actually valuable, and it wasn't just valuable for college guys; it was valuable for everyone. And so we just got this massive fan base of, and, and again, I don't know how big it was, but it seemed huge at the time. Yeah, and people were following us, you know, uh, and emailing us like, "Hey, can I? Can you hang out with me for an afternoon for five hundred bucks?" And I was like, "That's more money than I've ever had in my pocket at one time as a college student, mm-hmm. uh, even a, even a law student." So we really leaned into that. And then I remember one guy was like, hey, I need to do something more than phone coaching because I just need to see it in person. And I was like, all right, well, I don't know what to tell you because I'm not a coach and I'm a lawyer. I'm busy. And he goes, I will pay you $5,000 if I can come over for like a week and stay with you. 
And I went, sure, because I know you from phone coaching, but I can't guarantee what you'll learn because I don't have a curriculum. And he's like, it's fine. I just want to go out with you guys at night. And I went, sounds good. So this guy came to New York, stayed with us, and I had flown in a buddy to kind of keep him company and go out with him during the day because I had to go to work. And he was like, this is great. I want to stay for another week. And I said, okay. And so he gave us more money. And we started talking about that on the show. And you guys don't even have a formal company at this point. No, we had no company at this point. I don't even think we'd filed any corporate anything. We were like, okay, can you PayPal us the money? And he's like, "Uh, no, it's a limit of 500 on PayPal. So we just went to Chase and he would like withdraw the cash. And I kept it in my room. And and paid rent with it. And, and you're not like following up on like what you're teaching them or anything, are you? No, I mean, just like come with me. Look what I'm. Look at what I'm doing. And yeah, and 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 he'd be like, "What are you doing right now?" And I'd be like, "Oh, body language, this body small talk, that follow up, this doorman, that." And he's like, "This is amazing." And I was like, "If you think this is great, what happened if we wrote this all down? We had a curriculum. We actually had it in some kind of order." Yeah. So we created that because when we started talking about this on the show. People were like, I didn't know it was an option to go stay with you guys for a week. I want to do that. And we're like, uh, okay. So we hired somebody to, to basically live in our house and teach these workshops and formalize the curriculum. And we had guys being like, yeah, five grand, no problem. Okay, cool. Uh, 4,000, no problem. We, and we just had people calling in or emailing in at that point. Were you surprised that there was like this big market for being taught yeah. soft skills? Yeah, I was shocked. Because I thought I was I thought I was the only one who was really obsessed with it. And I also thought that it, the market for this would be guys I wouldn't want to be around. Yeah. And there was plenty of that too. Yeah, I, I was gonna ask, like, what was that like? Like were there people like selling like, you know, uh, I don't knives. Know, like, I don't like no, no, I meant like programs and like, you know, you have a bunch of people nowadays on yeah. Instagram selling this, but like back yeah. then was it the same? Infomercials. Swipe like up. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of there were a lot of people that were selling garbage just like there are now. Yeah. Yeah. And there and there were a lot of guys who were like, I'll teach you how to meet any woman. And I'm like, that twerp is not teaching you anything. <laughs> that guy looks like a uh, a child's birthday party magician. He's probably forty five and I never can picture him right never now. touched He's a teach woman. Try to make that woman disappear. Yeah, I mean, yeah. At, at most by not showering get. for three weeks straight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was just like horrifying. And we were just like the normal guys that weren't making bold promises, that were talking like normal people and weren't treating women like- You were relatable. Yeah, we were relatable. We weren't treating women or relationships poorly. Yeah. And so a lot of guys who didn't relate to the whole like, yeah, make the cigarette disappear. It's like that garbage did not fly But you were just being yourself, right? Uh, Yeah, pretty much. But we could teach other people how to bring out the best- that they had to offer. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of it was te- it was unteaching people. Like re- it was a subtractive process. Mm-hmm. It was like getting rid of the there there was a lot of guys that thought they had to be something that they weren't in order to get successful with the opposite sex or with the same sex whatever just to have friends. And we were basically like, "No, get rid of all this social mask b- bullshit that you're wearing to try to be cool because that's what's making you look like a douche." Yeah. And that was novel because everybody else was like, get cool stories that make you sound awesome. Get cool clothes that make you look fancy. And we're like, don't care so much about what other people think. Don't lie to people. In fact, tell people about some of your insecurities because everyone has them and it makes you relatable. And then 
I remember all these other guys that fancied themselves pickup artists were like, oh, you guys are idiots. You don't know what you're talking about. Meanwhile, our clients were all cool people that you'd be friends with in real life. Yeah. And th- so that won us a lot of notoriety in that industry because we were the ones who were like, hey, you, you you're probably- You choose like who you worked with or- Yeah, yeah. generally. Yeah, yeah. We, there were people where we were like, you're not a good fit for us because you're super weird. We don't want you in our house. And, and, and that was fine. That was worth it, you know? For sure. And so we had a lot of success stories because we didn't have guys that were like full-time clowns hanging out with us. We had a really good clientele that would then be like, wow, this stuff really works. And we didn't have all 21-year-old kids. We were we outpriced a lot of those guys. Mm-hmm. So we had like the cool guy who was like recently divorced and just kind of needed to get back in the game. We had IT guys that related to us as guys that thought we were normal and cool. So they wanted to hang out with us. The guys that didn't relate to us were the guys that were like, basically wanted to treat women and dating like a role-playing game with experience points and magic spells. Those guys didn't relate to us at all. So we didn't get them as clients, which is a blessing in disguise because those guys were impossible to teach. A lot of them needed therapy, not (laughs) dating skills. They they weren't trying to get to the next level. They were trying to become palatable enough that they could make one freaking friend. Yeah. You know, and we didn't want those guys around. Yeah, go ahead. And during this time, you had stopped practicing law or Uh, you're doing both? I was, yeah, once the market tanked, I got nine months severance. So I didn't have to practice anymore. Amazing. And was able to just like, cruise yeah, yeah, yeah. on that severance for a, yeah. quite a long time yeah. and and do the uh, sort of run the business yeah. and i was doing the show and i was on sirius xm satellite radio nice. also doing the show so you, you'd become big enough the show had become big enough where sirius xm approached you and said, they just thought our concept was really novel yeah so they were like wait a minute you're teaching guys how to meet women but not be totally creepy about it and we're like, yeah. And they're like, can you answer questions about stuff? And I said, yeah, we do it all the time. So we had a call-in two-hour-long radio show. Mm-hmm. And guys would call in and be like, so this happened. And so it was kind of like Love Line. I was just about to say this is like literally like Love yeah. Line. But it was like dating Love Line. Date not line. like, what's this thing on my wee-wee? You know, which is what Love Line was. <laughs> right, or like, right. you know, and Adam Carolla's like, yeah, when you're going out with your girlfriend to the sushi bar. Like, we didn't talk. Like, we didn't do that. You know, we were kind of like, hey, there's this situation – what do I do? And it was more like, you know, at that point, Dr. Drew was probably like 45 mm-hmm. or 40. And we were like 20, 26, yeah. 27. And so we were a little bit more relatable to like the 21-year-old guy than Dr. Drew they and Adam Carolla. hopefully didn't have a wee-wee problem. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't have STDs and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So we had a sort of a, a similar but a little bit different clientele. I love Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew. They're, I was Like I said, I was just with them. 10 minutes before this mm-hmm. they're like my radio idols yeah. i love those guys and i think they're geniuses but we had a slightly different show that was a little bit more relatable that right. had a little bit more to do with uh dating and relationships mm-hmm. much more or, or much more to do with dating and going out sorry than relationships and marriage and and sex yeah so and then uh basically the company became the art of charm yeah the company yeah and, and then you guys uh Grew the company and eventually, uh, and you also had a podcast called The Art of Charm. Yeah, right? so we we reformed the name and th- yeah. it was one dumb name to another. So we did the, <laughs> we changed the pickup one to The Art of Charm. Yeah. And the thing is, I should have realized back then that the whole thing was like dying, and yeah. I kind of did. And I also realized that my business partners at that point had their head firmly planted in their ass. But the thing is, 
you when you start a business and you're in your twenties, you don't think you kind of you especially when you're from Michigan, you work hard, you have a good work ethic, you don't think that anything's gonna go wrong. It's like there's a naivete. But also, and I still to this day, I'm always surprised when people have crappy work ethic. I'm always like, what the hell? So these other guys that I had started this company with, it was great. When we were all 26, 27, it was like, this is going to be amazing. But then at some point, I'm 30, 31, and these guys are still going out every night and getting wasted. And I'm like, hey, we should probably like sit down and do some freaking work here. Yeah. And that wasn't very interesting to them. They wanted to be broing out. And I thought like, hey, didn't we get over that 20... Uh, at age 21, 10 years ago, eight years ago, can we kind of like settle in and create a real business and make a living? And, and I had to fight at every turn to just get like sensible stuff done. And so that was the beginning of the end of that for me. Mm. And it was just a really long, painful hang on by the, by my fingernails for a few more years. And you were kind of just ready to do your own thing. I was so ready. Yeah. Not necessarily, I, well, actually 2020 hindsight, I wasn't ready to do, to do my own thing. I should have left and done my own thing. Much sooner. Much sooner, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so you did. You started the Jordan, Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan show. Harbinger Show, And yeah. is that what you're doing that's what I'm. That's what I'm doing now, yeah. And that's yeah. what I'm doing for, for a while here. And we were the most downloaded new show of 2018. So before, you guys won an award? Yeah, Apple. from Apple, yeah. Congrats. It, thank you, yeah. And I, I mean, I honestly should have left the yeah. old company a long time beforehand. The reason I didn't is I thought there's, I thought it's going to be impossible to start over sunk cost fallacy, insert yep. cognitive bias here. But also I was hoping naively that at some point, the other guys that I was working with would wake the hell up, take a cold shower, put down the booze for like five minutes yeah. and decide to get serious about making money and turning it into something that we could be proud of. And they just were not interested in that. And so if you're in a business right now and you're working with people and you think that they don't not, – not you're having disagreements on where to go. That's normal. Mm. If they are not working as hard as you and they are not interested in working as hard as you, you are never going to teach them work ethic. If they didn't learn it from their parents when they were 16 or t- 6, yeah. they're not learning it when they're 30. Mm-hmm. They're not learning it when they're 27. They are going to go they're going to get worse. They are not going to get better. If you have to discipline your business partners to get off their ass and make sure they're awake by 11 a.m, not going to get better. Get out of there. You are always going to drag them kicking and screaming and they're they're going to be dead weight for you for the rest of your life. You are not going to fix them. Your your level of success is not going to make them work harder. It's going to make them go out for drinks more. Yeah. That's my experience. Couldn't agree more. Well, that's Jordan Harbinger. Jordan, thanks so much for sharing your story. Yeah. Uh, it's freaking awesome to hear it from you firsthand. Uh, so thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. And I, I, I think if I had to leave with one thing, I would say the most important lever that I have, uh, that I've ever had or ever seen, is, is being able to have a wide network that also knows, likes, and trusts you. So it's cliche, but dig the well before you're thirsty. Create those relationships now. Make sure that you're busting your ass to help other people without the expectation of anything in return. Make sure you're keeping up with people, even if you don't think you'll ever work with them on anything. Because when I left the old company and started the new one, the reason we were able to scale up so fast is because I could call I called hundreds, no exaggeration, of people for help. Mm -hmm. And they were like, sure. So 
if, if you're when you're listening to this right now, make a list of like 10 or 15 people that you would call right now if you got laid off tomorrow and reach out to those people now while you don't have an agenda. Because if you reach out after you need something, oh, it's so awkward, whatever, because you need something and you screwed up and you didn't keep the relationship and going. That. And they yeah. know that and you know that and you know that they know that and yeah, you feel yeah. crappy about it. And weird, you should. Yeah. It's weird. So make reach out now and be like, hey, I know I've done a crappy job of keeping in touch. I want to fix that. That's one of my resolutions this year. What's the latest with you? And then see if you can help them with something. Yeah. Because right now you have no agenda other than to sort of repair your networking skills and repair the relationship, which is admirable. Mm -hmm. As soon as you need something, it's like, hey, what's going on, Jim? Yeah. Nothing. What's going on with you? Nothing. Uh, so I'm broke and need a job. I knew it. Don't ever call me again. Yeah. Right? You become like an opportunist. Yeah, become an opportunist. And, and people don't like that shit. Yeah. And I, I actually have a lot of drills like that that are massively helpful for re-engaging network, creating relationships around you. And it's it's a it's not an upsell. It's a free set of videos that I'm I made for people because I wish the whole world knew this stuff. And it's at jordanharbinger.com slash level one. Amazing. You, we'll and, link it. Yeah, in, link in it. And, and the podcast is a Jordan Harbinger show, and I teach Every episode has worksheets and practical skills that you should learn. It's not just like, you're motivated now. Yeah. F that. Yeah. It's all practical, and it's all... I hate motivation. I, I hate inspiration. It's overrated. <laughs> it's cheap. It, that's why I don't like Gary Vee, but a lot of people don't like that I say that. I, that's, I mean, they don't have to agree with you. And I think, <laughs> I think most people who are selling motivation, they don't have anything else to offer. Yeah. They just don't. They all, the, all they're doing is trying to inspire you, and it's like, great, congratulations, I don't need inspiration. You're I'm already inspired. inspired. I woke up this morning motivated to create something. I don't need to like watch a YouTube video yeah. from somebody who's like was an athlete 20 years ago yeah. and is now like resting on their YouTube yeah. laurels. Yeah. I don't give a crap about any it of that. It actually kind of goes back to what you said earlier about like they don't need like a coach, they need a therapist. Like in this case, those that need inspiration, they don't need to be inspired. Like they need much more than to be like yes, exactly. inspired. Like they need. They need like a coming to Jesus moment of like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like, yeah. What's my purpose? What's my passion? All of that course. Shit. They have no purpose yeah. going on whatsoever. I can feed you as much inspiration as I possibly can and you're still not going to do anything. Exactly. It doesn't matter. Like go yeah. like all your fucking quotes. I call it hustle best. porn. Yeah. Because yeah. you're just yeah. getting a fix where you're like, yeah, I read this yeah. cool quote that yeah. rhymed on yeah. Instagram yeah. and it was like, if you don't hustle you're not yeah. gonna build your muscle yeah i'm gonna make a poster out of that it's like a smooth dude. seat didn't make for a whatever sailor whatever the fuck they say right yeah exactly fucking quote. and it's like okay i don't need that i'm in the car uh on my way to an actual piece of work that's gonna make yeah. something yeah. out yeah, of myself exactly. yeah. yeah so ditch the hustle porn and get to work yeah. that's my takeaway that's Love jordan it. harbinger thank you <laughs>